Support for the Bid Picture podcast comes from Atlas.co. Atlas.co is the only map company that lets you add your custom route to your personalized map. The process is simple. Select your trip type and add your trip. Style your map, move, and edit your labels. Select your size and material type and submit your order. Pick from a selection of beautiful styles and colors that we're sure will fit any home or space. Add some text to make it truly yours. You can find out more in the links in the episode show notes. Support for the Bid Picture podcast comes from The Daily Upside. The Daily Upside is a business newsletter that covers the most important stories in business in a style that's engaging, insightful, and fun. Started by a former investment banker, The Daily Upside delivers quality insights and surfaces unique stories you won't read elsewhere. You can find out more in the links in the episode show notes. Hello, my name is Bidemi Ologunde and you're listening to episode 192 of the Bid Picture Podcast. On this episode, I'll talk about the dark side of some social media mom groups and the inherent risks of parents oversharing about their children online. Thank you for your time. Let's get to it. Part 1. Something very insignificant turned into an entire argument. Melanie had a difficult labor with the birth of her first baby in August 2020, and she was grieving because she couldn't hold and nurse her baby immediately after her emergency C-section. So to find solace, she followed a lot of new mothers on Instagram and saw a post from a woman who had a similar birth experience. So the post was a photo showing the woman separated from a newborn by a plastic sheet. However, Melanie's heart sank when she read a comment beneath the picture, quote, I can't even imagine not being able to hold and nurse my baby, end quote. So according to Melanie, mom shaming isn't always overt. It is often that side comments that feels like your truth, but comes out as judgment. So she deleted her Instagram account. Hannah from Brooklyn, New York, had her first baby in April 2020. Like many parents, Hannah and her husband, Tony, struggled to get their baby to sleep. They tried everything from cuddling her to letting her cry it out, but nothing worked. In normal times, Hannah might have talked about the bedtime struggles with other new moms during stroller walks in the park or at mommy and me classes. But everything had shut down in the weeks before her baby was born and the family quarantined with her parents in New Jersey. So browsing a forum on sleeping in the What to Expect app, Anna came across a post from a woman who wrote, quote, I will never mom shame anyone for their decisions in parenting. However, ellipsis, end quote. So the post went on to detail the supposed negative effects of letting babies cry it out. As she read on, Hannah felt increasingly bad about her own experiment with sleep training, even though many top pediatric sleep experts 
say that it is fine to let babies cry it out for a certain period of time. Hannah said she then went down a rabbit hole of mom's groups on Facebook and Instagram only to find more conceited, judgmental chatter. Miss Hunter had a fourth child in December 2019 and she said she found some Facebook mom groups to be increasingly toxic. She said that asking a question in those groups is opening the door to feeling inadequate and the most heated discussions she has seen have been around vaccines, discipline and food. So she belonged to a Facebook group for mothers who are interested in natural foods. Women often came to the group seeking natural remedies for various childhood ailments like skin rashes. Miss Hunter said someone would always comment that vaccines were the cause, which would then kick off discussions about whether vaccines cause autism, although there is no credible link. Miss Hunter, whose son has autism, found such comments to be hurtful. She said it wasn't good for her, so she started to get away from those groups. Cons Pretty is a mother of three and a former content director at lifestyle brand Motherly. She worked in social media for over a decade and said she also noticed a significant shift since early 2020. She said there were way more fights, drama, and conflict in the 2020 groups that she joined compared to the 2018 groups she belonged to. So she attributed those fights to people being isolated for a long time and everyone being on edge and tired, especially moms. In November 2020, she posted a question to one group about what size of shoes her babies should be wearing. So someone replied and said, shoes? Why? Where are you going? You're supposed to stay home. So basically, something very insignificant turned into an entire argument. Another time, a mother posted a photo of a one-year-old biting an apple. So other moms rebuked her for doing that, saying it's a choking hazard. So the woman had to respond that her pediatrician said it was fine. So Ms. Pretty decided to leave many of those Facebook groups. She said she didn't need any more drama in her life. So among the things women learn about when they have their first baby are all the social media groups for new moms. The online communities which once supplemented in-person meetups have become the primary source of information and connection for many new moms during the pandemic. But some of the groups that many new moms have turned to for support and camaraderie have left them feeling even more isolated. According to some new moms, age-old debates over best parenting practices are becoming more and more heated. Christine Mathis, who is a vice president at What to Expect, said that the community was created to be a supportive place where parents can share the joys and concerns of parenting with others going through similar experiences. She said the organization realizes that becoming a parent is a stressful time for everyone, especially since the start of the pandemic, and sometimes emotions can run high. She added that their teams of moderators 
work around the clock to address situations that violate their rules so that conversations can get back on track to being supportive. Facebook said it provides group administrators and moderators with tools to manage their groups and prevent conflict. Facebook also encourages members of groups to report abusive posts and to block such people so that they cannot view things that the reporting member shares in group. Experts say that new mothers are especially vulnerable to psychological harm when experiencing judgment. Large forums with parents always tend to regress to the most judgmental perspective and large forums with no moderation are where moms are most likely to be hurt. Having a baby during the pandemic has created an entirely new degree of isolation that has taken a toll on women's mental health. A study involving more than 1,000 pregnant and postpartum women found that during the pandemic, 36% reported clinically significant levels of depression. Before the pandemic, the number of women diagnosed with perinatal depression was around 20%, according to the study's authors. So Hannah, the mom from Brooklyn, didn't quit the forums, but she's learning to approach them more cautiously. She said she has slowly been learning to stop seeking validation from these groups and to trust what seems to be working for her. She still pokes around from time to time, but more confidence came from seeing her baby growing happy and sleeping somewhat better. She also had a better experience when she joined a smaller neighborhood group called Park Slope Parents, which she says is well-moderated and friendly. So what can new moms and moms generally do? So as Hannah from New York discovered, smaller social networks are promising moms a kinder alternative to large forums and often act to mitigate negativity. So here are a few social networks to try out. The first one here is called Peanut. So it's an app for hopeful and expectant mothers and moms of all ages. It uses artificial intelligence to flag language that contains negative sentiments. If someone's post is flagged, they are given an opportunity to rephrase it to be more supportive. Next is Tavi, T-A-A-V-I. It's an iOS app, basically for Apple devices only. It was created by a mom who got tired of so much judgment and mom shaming. It connects women based on where they are in pregnancy or motherhood and puts them in groups with no more than 15 members. Next is Band of Mothers. So this platform is for moms and includes a podcast, a comedy show, and an online marketplace. It has an app that is described as a safe space for moms with a zero-tolerance policy for bullies. Next is Social Mama. This app says it maintains a supportive, judgment-free mom community and facilitates friendships through profile matching. It also provides free access to mental health and family medicine experts. Next is Hey Mama. Even though it's a professional networking platform for working mothers, 
Many use it to seek advice about infant care and other personal issues. There is an application process as well as membership fees. Then last but not the least is friended. So while it's not explicitly geared towards mothers, many people have turned to this app to find answers to parenting questions. There are no group conversations in the app. Every contact is one-on-one and users must take a kindness pledge. Sometimes, the bad overtakes the good. Social media mom groups can be a lifeline for first-time mothers, but they can turn ugly fast. Becoming a mother is a significant life transition that leaves many women feeling uncertain about their abilities and then seeking answers to questions on topics such as nursing, over-the-counter medication, and sleep training. Even the most innocuous new mom queries can be met with condescension and outrage on all kinds of topics. Experts say that the culture of intensive motherhood advocates the need for all kinds of motherhood experts. Moms going into online spaces have thousands of voices weighing in on their choices, and that can get overwhelming. Unsurprisingly, the consensus is that mothers are better off limiting their time on social media and rather contacting real-life friends, relatives, and pediatricians for advice. In some private Facebook mom groups, questions as simple as what kind of eczema treatment works best yield conflicting information and judgmental comments. Some moms have shamed others for suggesting steroid creams or coconut oil. Someone even asked if the mom asking the question had vaccinated her baby, implying that a shot had caused his eczema. So Kate Anderson, chief of staff at motherhood lifestyle brand Motherly, left some Facebook groups and other mom forums when things got heated. When one of her three kids was a toddler and wouldn't stay in his room at night, she turned to mom groups for advice, only to find vastly different views. Ms. Anderson said she found discussions around breastfeeding to be particularly anxiety-inducing. According to her, her overall approach to these groups is that if they are serving you, great, but if you leave them feeling stressed, then they are not the best place to be. So not all social comparisons on motherhood forums have the same effect. Some women sometimes benefit from comparing themselves with others. If a mom feels that another mom is performing better as a mother, she could be inspired by that mom and then learn from her. However, it can go in an unhealthy direction when a mom feels inadequate and that her identity as a mother is threatened. So experts suggest that it is best to dabble, not dwell in these forums, basically keeping it to less than an hour a day. For most people, even if they are getting some good from the site, the bad then overtakes the good. So the reasons why women take these forums vary widely. 
Some joined because they lived far away from their own mothers and close friends, and they were drawn to the range of answers they could find online. In addition, the lack of support for new moms was especially acute during the pandemic, basically adding to the popularity of online communities. So Maya is a mom from New York, and she runs a charity for special needs children in Ukraine. She said she didn't have family nearby when she had a baby in 2017. She also couldn't afford a nanny and struggled to care for a newborn while working. So reading posts from others who had a robust support system left her lonely and stressed. So Maya tried and eventually left five online mom groups that she felt were getting toxic. She recalled a Facebook group about eco-friendly baby products where she found strong and judgmental opinions on everything from organic bedding to organic baby food. According to her, she cannot control everything that a child is going to be exposed to in her life. So how do we set boundaries? Online motherhood groups can be helpful if you use them intentionally. So here are some tips on how to set healthy boundaries. First, know yourself. It's important to assess how you might react to certain posts. If you are prone to comparison and anxiety and stress, then you need to be very careful about how you use these sites and how frequently you use them. Next is to proceed with a purpose. Ask yourself, am I going there to get recommendations and advice? If so, then just stick to that and don't go scrolling through the entire page and all the sections where you could potentially run into a host of messiness. Next is to set limits. Establish a time limit for the sites or the apps or the platforms and don't log in right before bedtime. You definitely don't want to go to sleep angry or anxious. Last but not the least, create an in-person village. If you're expecting a baby, try to form a network of local mom friends, even via online forums, so that social media groups would not be your only support. If you already have a baby, you could try some mommy and me classes. They want the world to see how wonderful their child is. So few things are more heartwarming than seeing parents posting about their children on social media. Their names, pictures, birthdays, accomplishments, their teachers, and their pets. What parents wouldn't want the world to know how wonderful their child is? In recent years, however, such share renting has gotten more pushback for violating children's privacy and depriving them of choices about their own online identities. Some people ask, how will my 21-year-old daughter feel one day about what I'm sharing now? But what has gotten little attention is how sharing should raise concerns about their children's future online security. It all seems so innocuous and precious and starts even way before birth. First, parents post images of their ultrasound scans to social media sites 
with due dates included, and both parents are usually tagged in those posts. The follow-up is the birth announcement, which typically includes the child's full name, date of birth, time of delivery, weight, length, and hospital. Up next are the child's milestones, the first steps, first holiday, first pet, first word, best friend, favorite food, and so on. So if any of these milestones sound familiar, it's because they are routinely used as answers to the security challenge questions that we use to get into online accounts when we forget our passwords. One survey on password choice found that 42% of British people use either a pet name, a family member's name, or an important date as their password. So would you like to hack into someone's account 10 years from now? Just look back online and see the name of a first pet or a first grade teacher. It's all probably going to be there ready for the taking. So Barclays Bank, a bank in the United Kingdom, warned that by the year 2030, after another decade of parents gleefully and unknowingly share renting at current rates, 7.4 million identity theft cases could occur a year. The Identity Theft Resource Center warns that by combining information from social media, such as name, date of birth, and address, along with the troves of hacked personal data available to buy cheaply on the dark web, such as social security numbers, a scammer has all the details needed to open a bank account or take out a loan in a child's name. The pandemic has even compounded this issue. One study found that many schools encouraged parents to post videos to social media to keep children connected, thereby increasing the volume of personal information about children's home lives being shared online. So by their fifth birthday, the average child will have around 1,500 photos of themselves shared online. This means that by the age of 13, when children are allowed to use social media sites themselves, they could already be almost 4,000 photos depicting them online. Those figures don't include children of parent influencers who build careers around posting information about their children to a worldwide fan base completely unknown to them or their children with, of course, unknown levels of trustworthiness. An emerging threat to children is the use of artificial intelligence technology, AI, that is used to create deepfakes, basically images, videos, GIFs, sounds, or voices that are manipulated to look or sound like someone else. Given the vast volume of children's images and videos posted online by their parents, malicious creation of deepfakes could be used by cyber bullies or school bullies. Parents don't usually ask their children for their consent when posting information online. Yet, consider this. The UK Safer Internet Center's survey on young people's online experiences found that 46% felt anxious and out of control of their own information when they discovered posts about themselves online that they hadn't been aware of. A further 44% felt angry, with only 15% seemingly being indifferent. 
So this information is a ticking time bomb and is likely to result in an explosion of embarrassment and angst for our children as they grow up, thereby exposing them to identity theft. So what can we do about it? First, parents should be aware that their shout-outs about their children, however well-meaning, could cause long-term damage to the people they love most. In addition, our social media privacy settings can help control the audience that sees our posts. Ensuring that we are comfortable with which social media platforms we use, how our profiles are set up, how public our posts are, and what information we are giving away can help us make informed choices on how our children's digital footprints are shaping up. Understanding the real-world consequences of sharing allows us all to make better informed choices on our decisions to post or not to post. We all want to give our children the best lives they can live, so let's not undermine it by constantly telling the world how wonderful they are. So to wrap up on this episode, I talked about the dark side of some social media mom groups and the inherent risks of parents oversharing about their children online. So that's all I have for this episode 192 of the Bid Picture Podcast. Thanks for listening. Beat Picture Podcast is produced by Sunshine Media in association with Alowinly Productions. Fact-checking by Zara Kuznetsova. Audio engineer, Sergey Goski. Graphic design, Stacey Graham. Senior producer, Bidemi Ologunde. Executive producers, Olufolani Ologunde and Toby Loba Ologunde. Please join me again on the next episode as I continue with a deep dive on cybersecurity's news, events, and incidents, and the lessons we can learn from them for robust cyber threat intelligence and awareness in our daily lives. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the Beat Picture Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, please share the show with anyone that you think might benefit from it. For questions, comments, or any suggestions, please send an email to bdme at thebeatpicture.com. You can also get in touch on Twitter at BeatPicture, on the Clubhouse app at Beat, as well as on the Wisdom app at BDME. Please remember to leave a review for the podcast if your platform allows you to do so. Thank you for your time. See you on the next episode. Bye for now.